Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Somebody said years ago, well, Lord, give me a one-armed economist, so I'll never again hear on the other hand. But I know, I know, I know. I'll never use that one again. Um, Global news story on uh, June 30th, so Friday, will there be a recession in Canada? In uh, the first few lines, Canada's economy is showing signs of underlying strength as some consumers and businesses brush off recession fears. A flurry of data releases on Friday suggest. Here's the one, here's the one I want to run by our, our, our guest right now. Some, some economists say the door is open for the Bank of Canada to pause its rate height cycle once again amid easing inflation concerns and an expected economic slowdown in the second half of the year, while others feel it's too soon for the central bank to declare victory. Our guest is our great friend, Professor Eric Cam, professor at macroeconomics at Toronto Metropolitan University. Professor Cam, great to have you with us. Happy Canada Day weekend. And uh, so what do we do? Um, hike the interest rates or no? Happy Canada Day to you, too. You know, if you don't learn from history, you're sort of doomed to repeat it. And I like your joke about the one-arm economist. It's like the 10 economists in a room, you get 11 opinions. Both jokes signal the same thing to me, and no one's going to want to hear this that works for somebody um, in the private sector, which is these are the responses you get when you have a horse in the race. When you work for a bank, you work for a financial institution, you have to hedge your bet. Now, I'm no hero, but I have no horse in any race. All I care about are Canadian consumers and Canadian taxpayers. And I wish the government and I wish the Bank of Canada would stop raising rates right now. Because you can play mathematical games all you want, Roy, and you can say, oh, look, the rate of inflation is coming down. Well, that's true on a, on a big picture level. The rate of inflation is coming down from where it was, say, a year ago. But, you know, I like people to afford luxuries like food, and rent. And on those items, that's my core inflation rate. They're still going up. Food is still going up about 9% per year on average. So I frankly, I don't care if the Bank of Canada and the government point to things like the price of cell phones going down or specific goods going down. The goods that Canadians need to buy, not want to buy, need to buy to do such selfish things as house and feed and clothe their children are still going up. And so I don't understand right now why when things are so delicate, uh, we have this this jihad uh, on inflation. It is coming down. There's your signal. So slow down. The, the rate's gone from 0.25 to 4.75 in, 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 in warp speed. Let people get their feet back under them. Let people be able to afford again and then look at what you should do with the numbers. But unfortunately, Roy, the bottom line is when you go to that web page of the Bank Canada, it says we aren't going to sleep until the rate is at 2%, come hell or high water. Well, that's exactly where we're going to get to, hell or high water, very soon when they push that rate to 2% and people have to walk away from their houses. Yeah. Wasn't, and, and I'm not sure about this because I'm not an economist, but I, I try to stay up on what's going on, as you know. Wasn't it really the reducing of the cost of oil 
the drove, um, the reduced um, interest rate in this country, the reduction uh, of inflation. And I'm just looking at this one story that back in the Global News story. Drags from the public sector strike and a slowdown in manufacturing were offset by strength in the mining and oil and gas sectors. So that tells me that at least in part, it's government that caused much of the problem and continues to be a problem, Professor Cam, because I don't think they understand math unless the math favors their, or favors their political ambitions. Oh, I don't think the problems are in part caused by government. I think the problems are entirely caused by government. I'm never going to be the person who sits there and blames the population for having to buy things uh, for their families, Roy. The bottom line is if you open up any macroeconomic textbook, any, and there's a plethora of them, when you open up chapter one, the two most important topics you read about that drive economics in a capitalist society are opportunity cost and comparative advantage. And both mean basically the same thing. Produce what you are best at, produce what you are most efficient in producing, and then buy what you absolutely need to. But for some reason, our country, what it tries to do is flip that on its head and says, let's go out and buy the things that we don't need to buy, and then we'll worry about the rest. And whether this is for geopolitical reasons or for handshake agreements that we don't know about, I'm not exactly sure, but we have for generations absolutely ignored the comparative advantages we have in energy, in resources, natural gas. And then so we have to make up for it in all of these other ways that are counterintuitive to a functioning economy and society. And Roy, listen, I know I'm going to be accused of being a broken record, but you couple that with the insanity of the spending and the monetary stimulus during the pandemic and then you get where we are today. So when the people say the government is in part responsible, well, who the hell else is responsible? People that are trying to pay their mortgages and feed their kids, are they responsible? They are not responsible. They're never responsible. People react to what governments do. It's governments that take the four and they are the action people. And they really have a lot to look in the mirror right now and answer for, Roy. And it's pretty sad. I know you agree. Well, when you talk about spending money on things you don't need, how about a few hundred thousand barrels of oil we buy each day from other parts of the world, some of them with rather unsavory human rights records, questionable other records, but we buy hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil and we leave ours in the ground. And this is why I'm saying there's got to be something behind this that we don't know. There has to be handshake agreements or understandings on other things between governments that, that we just don't understand or don't come to the surface because my first year students, they appeared on your show. These are, they don't understand why they're learning about these things in their textbooks and being tested on them and saying, if this is basic macro 101, why does our government go in the other direction? And I'm so flustered when I have to look at my students, 500 of them asking really good questions. And my answer is, I don't know. Maybe you should ask your government. Because when I ask the government, I don't get answers in return. And it's incredibly frustrating, Roy. I agree. We are where we are today because of what the government gave us on a silver platter. It's frustrating. And it's 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 horrible. We're going to return to those bad old days, not the good old days, the bad old days. 
you know, of the 1970s and the 1980s of stagflation and staggering interest rates and people walking away from their homes. And in, in most part, these things could have been avoided by a little macroeconomic forethought. But our federal government only forethinks things like the green agenda and clean air and indigenous issues. All things I'm good on, Roy. All things that I would sign are important, but nowhere near as important as keeping a roof over your head and feeding your children. But this does not seem to be the priority of our federal government. So Vancouver and BC, we have the port strike. Vancouver is the one that is really going to impact um, our, our economy and is threatening our economy. How much of a threat? How serious is this? It's massive serious. And I think what frustrates me the most, and it's not getting enough play, is that, you know, what destroyed the economy during the pandemic was a combination of stimulus and problems with the supply chain. And we talked a lot about how that was exogenous. We couldn't fix it because it was due to Russia and the Ukraine. But now you've got supply chain problems, Canadian made. Happy Canada Day, Roy. About a quarter of our goods move through these ports on the West Coast. This will touch every aspect of our economy. This will fuel inflation. I mean, we're trying to bring inflation down. Here you go. Here's another contraindication that is going to fuel inflation. Let's do some quick math because I know you like math. It's about $800 million in goods that move through those ports every day. So if that sucker lasts a week, you're talking $5.5 billion in goods. That can do nothing other than take that supply curve and shove it left again and raise the prices of those goods. And remember, we're talking about British Columbia. This is not going to affect just BC. This is all of Canada, because what's the major trading partner whose goods come into that port? It's China. China sends us most of our imports. And this just has a recipe for disaster again. And there's only one way to fix this, Government of Canada. Settle this strike before it raises the prices of goods and services that people buy yet again, Roy. You know, it gets it gets so boring in a sense, keeping saying the same thing every week. We are we are making these problems for ourselves. We're making them worse to ourselves. And now you can't blame Russia. And you can't blame the Ukraine. If this happens, this is a Canadian-made supply chain mess. And it brings us full circle to what we started talking about. And you pointed out it's the average person, if there is such a thing anymore. But it's the person who's trying to feed the kids, pay for the rent or the mortgage, buy the clothes, put the gas in the car so they can get to where they're going. That's the person who's going to be hurt most quickly. Yeah. And let me let you in on a little secret. It always is. It always is. No matter what economists, no matter what government people tell you, people that are at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale get hit by everything first and everything hardest. The super wealthy are not terribly concerned about very much. And frankly, nor should they be. But that's what gets lost in all of this is we talk about these numbers and we talk yeah. about math yeah. and demographics. And I know that we have to go, Roy, but Remember, economics is a social science and it's about people. Unemployed people don't make money. People that are stuck in a supply chain end up paying more money for goods. It is always the disposable income of those who can least afford it that gets hurt the most. And it can bring tears to your eyes when it's your own country facilitating the problems. Professor Cam, I always appreciate it. As you know, thanks so much for the time today. It's an honor. Stay healthy, Roy. You too, Professor Eric Cam. And you know, one of the things that we've... Uh, really been finding out is more and more people living in their vehicles. We heard yesterday from a listener in Toronto living in her car. 
So we're going to be doing a little bit of an investigative look into that over the next number of days. I'll have something on the air for you, hopefully by next weekend. So I received this uh, this commentary from Ken, who is a loyal listener to this program in Alberta. I don't have permission from him to use his last name, but he has sent me quite a few very interesting commentaries. And this followed our interview yesterday with Pierre Polyev, the leader of the Conservative Party. And Ken looks at both Mr. Polyev and uh, Justin Trudeau. He writes, uh, Dear Sir, I hope you're feeling better. You sound strong. I hope you continue on your recovery. Thank you, Ken. To the point of the missive, is Canada at risk? And sadly, I will say yes, for a couple of reasons. Mr. Trudeau has enabled those in his inner circle to dismantle the core values and the excellent support cast that were once surrounding the office of prime minister. And Mr. Polyev has all of his sharp words pointed at Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Trudeau alone. On multiple occasions in your interview with Mr. Polyev this afternoon, the express target of his vitriol was Mr. Trudeau. Our current prime minister may have been raised in an educational environment that exuded external affairs, but taking in that education may not have been his strong suit. There are a number of well-lined pockets within the ranks of those in close proximity to our current Prime Minister, and not all of those individuals are exempt from availing themselves of opportunity. Mr. Polyev, in only having a single shot in his arsenal, will likely miss some or all of the target. And as a result, he's left me quite concerned with a winner-takes-all attitude instead of winners-we-all-could-be philosophy. Canada is likely to become much more like the UN, separate on many issues, but fiercely independent individual provinces or collective groups of provinces, the Atlantic, Quebec, Ontario, Saskatchewan, and Alberta, BC, and Manitoba. But Manitoba with much less presence. Just my observation, kind sir. It's very thoughtful. It's very thoughtful. And so I, t- I talked with a number of people, I exchanged some emails about uh, Pierre Polyev's appearance on this program yesterday. And these are people who generally have had enough of the current administration and were not particularly fond of the two previous leaders of the Conservative Party and looked to Pierre Polyev for a new way of presenting the party to Canada. They are now telling me These are personal opinions. This is not any study of any kind. They're just sharing personal opinions with me. They're saying, well, his message is starting to be a little difficult to put up with. And they're saying that for the very same, in the very same vein that Ken's editorial comment was written. It's the same message each and every time. It's immediately Justin Trudeau's problem. Well, it may be, but after a while, people begin to tune out. If you just say the same thing over and over and over, I think Pierre Polyev has a tremendous opportunity in front of him a tremendous opportunity to connect with Canadians, and the polling is showing that he's doing that increasingly. But take advantage of the opportunity that's in front of you. Take advantage of the fact that people are listening to you and diversify your message 
just a suggestion. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.